looking at the verses 1 through 5. So it says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Every way of man is right in his own eyes. For the Lord weighs the heart. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty becomes, comes only to poverty. Let's pray. Lord, as we begin to jump into the word this week, help us be reminded of these rich truths. Help us know what it is that you really require of us. Yes, you require our bodies, but you also require our hearts. Um, so God, as we wrestle through this sermon today, as we hear it, let the words permeate us. Let them reach us. Let them change us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Sometimes I think when we look at God as that person I think that you don't really know how to please, right? I think we've all been around those kind of people where you desperately want to please them. You desperately want to do right by them, but it seems like nothing you can do can ever please them or nothing ever is enough for those kind of people. And I honestly believe that many of us, as we think about who God is, as we think about trying to serve God and please God, we feel that very way about God. I I don't know what he really wants. If I knew what he really wanted, I would give it, but it doesn't feel like what I want to give him is ever enough. And many of us feel like God is that person that no matter how hard I try, I just can't seem to please him. I want to do right. But we believe that he is ambiguous about what he requires from us. But the more that I read and the more that I look and the more that I look at this book, the more I realize that I think we actually just miss it. And so I want to help all of us today. And so this is for everyone who wants to know how to please God but it feels like it's an impossibility. This is for every one of us who believes that there are these unreasonable standards set, this expectation of behavior from God that we can't actually give him. This is what I hope for many of us to be freedom. He opens up here by reminding us of the sovereignty of God and what it says is actually interesting. He doesn't say that the king's actions are a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He doesn't say it's his actions. He says that it is the king's heart. The king's heart is in the palm of his hand. Now, for us, it would make perfect sense for him to say it's the king's actions, right? Because if it's the actions of the king or of the leader, that's what most affects us. We see this all throughout the Bible, by the way. We see it with Pharaoh and Moses goes and he tells him, God said, let my people go. We see this with Nebuchadnezzar. We see this in their actions. 
We see these wicked men doing wicked things with their actions. We have seen those actions have this great impact on the lives of people, and that impact is always negative. So what makes it so important that God doesn't say that the actions of the king are in his hand like a stream of water, but the heart is? Because what we have learned and what we will continue to learn, every action is rooted in a heart motivation. Every action. We have been over this and over this and over this. Yes, I know, but I really want to drive something home for all of us. All of the responses that come out of our lives, all of the actions that we see are reflections of our hearts. Our actions don't do anything apart from our hearts. I don't need God to only stave off the actions of the king, but I need him to change the heart of the king. Because I know that, then I know even for myself, just giving God my actions, it's not enough. Just doing stuff for God, it's not enough. God doesn't want my actions if they don't come from a right heart. God doesn't want my actions if they don't come from a right motivation. The core of me pleasing him will be in my heart's devotion to him. And I don't want y'all to get tired of me hearing this, saying this. It's the reality. Why does God set it up like this? I mean, good deeds or actions are such a good measurable benchmark, right? Because as we have seen all throughout these last few weeks and as we will continue to see, only God knows the heart. And the reason many of us want to be assessed by our actions is because we know most people that we come in contact with don't know our hearts. I don't even know my heart well enough to convince myself that my actions are good. And so what we do to not clue people into who we actually are or where we're actually struggling, we cover it up with good deeds. Because we know the most Christian person you know on their best day I don't care how well they know you, they don't know your heart. And so, yes, when we consider all that we do for God, remember, but it is God who truly knows the heart. And it is a good warning for us to remember. You know, people can appear devoted, they can appear happy or whatever, but that has no bearing on what they actually feel in their hearts. I watch people every day smile at bosses and supervisors that they cannot stand. Don't, 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 don't get fooled by these actions. Some of us are just faking. 
And we are faking long enough to get a retirement so that we can go on about our happy little lives. And I know some of us think, okay, well, that's passable. But what if we don't only do that at our jobs? What if many of us are doing that in our relationships? Many of us are doing that even in our walk with Christ. We're smiling, we're shaking hands, we're cordial, we're nice, we show up, we're present, we sing, we play, we preach. All the while, our hearts are disconnected from what we do. And so again, he says this thing that we are going to familiarize ourselves with as we go through Proverbs. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. It's all last week. Every way to me, every way is always right. Brandon is never wrong. I'm always right in my eyes. But see, the Lord has a measurement. And on that measurement, he puts my heart. He says he weighs it out. Do your actions actually align with what your heart really feels? God wants more than well-intentioned people who are unsure of their true motivations. This is seen really clearly when God instructed the Israelites on how they should be carrying the ark. And in their arrogance, they carried it the way that they thought was the most convenient. It wasn't what God had instructed. And then as it starts to fall, Uzzah tries to catch the ark. And we think, what a noble and righteous action for this man. This prized possession of the Lord is about to fall to the ground and he stretches out his hand to catch it. That's so righteous of him, right? Surely God would see and acknowledge how benevolent that was on his part. No. God strikes him down. He kills him right then and there and everyone sees it. And they don't think to themselves, how could God disregard such a righteous, righteous action? No. They know that just because the action appears to be righteous, just because what you do appears to be noble, it was a disobedient heart that put him in that position in the first place. That is like me setting a house on fire and then running to said house with a hose pipe and being upset that I'm not thanked for putting the fire out. Righteous actions do not cover up an unrighteous heart. And that's the point. Somehow other thought that he would be excused because something bad was happening. That now, even though God has said, do not touch the ark. But God, something terrible is happening. Let me save it. He thought his actions would be excused as righteous, as noble, as benevolent, and as good. 
But this is the point for us. Your outward actions will never outweigh your heart. They will never outweigh your heart. Get that. Your outward actions can never outweigh where your heart really actually is. And that is in any circumstance. And so connecting the heart of the man to his actions, he says that to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. It is more acceptable to God for us to do righteous and justice than to give him stuff. It's beautiful. To actually do righteousness, y'all, to actually do justice is to come from the heart. That's just a fact. I could absolutely come here every Sunday and give a monetary offering. I could give a sacrifice of my talent and my time, and I could leave and have no feelings of righteousness or truth in the world that I live in. It is absolutely possible that I could feel more strongly connected to my country than to my God and his people and believe that that's noble. It is not noble. It is shocking the amount of people who are willing to die for their country or take a bullet for some bandana or flag and not even speak peaceably to the living that we see every single day. Y'all, God does not want heartless, mundane, run-of-the-mill, have-been sacrifices. He wants us. He wants all that we have to give. He wants our hearts. And are we giving God what he really wants from us? You know if you are not, it's not a secret. You're not surprised. And if you feel like if anybody in here, I feel like I'm giving God exactly what he needs from me, then you know you ain't. Because none of us is. Y'all, we are so accustomed to think like this. Tell me if I'm wrong. We are so accustomed to think like this. They better be glad I showed up. They better be glad I'm here. I'm going to be late, but they better be glad I made it in the first place. How many times do we say that, think that, feel that, communicate that? But what if the people you said that about knew that's what you felt in your heart? What if somebody invited you to their birthday party and, they, and you said, they just better be glad I showed up? If they knew that's what you felt, you know what they would say? Shouldn't have shown up. Don't come if you don't want to be here. If you don't want to be here, don't come. Same thing God is communicating with us. Don't bring me something that you are not willing to actually give from your heart. 
The sacrifice it took you to show up is meaningless if your heart is disconnected from it. And if we knew what real, true sacrifice was, not only would we not try to aimlessly give each other what we want, we wouldn't do that to God, certainly. Sacrifices, y'all, maybe I need to reconfigure some thinking. Sacrifices, as God described, were never what you had left. I don't know why we treat God like that. After I've been to work, after I've worked out, after I've done these things, after I've paid my bills, after I've had community with my friends, after I've gone here, then God gets what's left. And we expect God to honor that as a sacrifice. This is why dead bodies called remains. Just like dead sacrifices. If you give God what's left, you are just giving him the remains. When you look throughout the Bible, your sacrifice was never what you gave left, what you had left. You gave what you had first. Before you gave it to anybody else, you gave it to God first. Your time, your resources, your energy, your love, your affection, your devotion, your money. You gave it all to God first. And then we don't get the remains. The people around you don't get the remains as a result. They get the best version of you possible. Because there's no way that you've been in fellowship with God and you aren't strengthened. When you fellowship with God first, when you give to God what he needs first, then everybody around you can get what you have best to give. That's it. Unfortunately, we as a people run down by work, run down by life, by family, have a tendency to offer to God, just what we have left. And this is why we lack the motivation to actually study Christ, to learn him, to deepen our faith, to engage in culture and community, or come to church and engage because God, for lack of a better term, gets our fumes. Y'all, that is not a sacrifice. And when Paul says to present your body as a sacrifice, that doesn't mean after you've done everything you want to do with your body, now give it to God. No. That means before you do anything with your body, you give yourself to God first. No. Giving him yourself energized, enthusiastic, creative, cultural, fresh, and free from the worry of life. Give to him first what you best have to give. I always hate, um, I feel like I'm learning through social media that, you know, I be thinking my experience was just my experience. It's like everybody experienced the same thing. You ever accidentally opened a cereal box the wrong way? 
And so when you open it, not realizing that it's upside down, thinking you're going to get cereal, you know what you get? Crumbs. I can't stand that. That happened with me like two weeks ago with some Raisin Bran. And Raisin Bran get real crummy at the bottom. I open it up and I get crumbs first and then I get the cereal. So I got this pile of mush at the bottom. And I'm upset. Probably because I was the one to open it upside down in the first place. Christian nodding. But you realize, if you think about it, nobody wants first what's supposed to be last. Nobody. I don't want no crumbs coming out of that box. Not the first thing I open. I want whole pieces of cereal that I can eat. Guess what God wants from us? God don't want our crumbs. He wants whole people who are ready to serve him and give their life to him. He don't want the remains. He wants all you have to give. He wants all of it. So in our relationship with God, we have to commit to give him first and give him best. I am a living sacrifice, and the Lord is not going to receive me in any type of condition. So what? You don't have enough time? Make it. If you know by the time you get home that you have nothing left for your relationship with the Lord, then that's the wrong time to do it. Stop waiting until then. Do it when you are most motivated, when you are most energized. It makes so much sense when the Bible says, early in the morning will I seek the Lord. Early in the morning I will pursue him before I've gone after my job and my motivations and my aspirations and everything that makes me me. When I get up in the morning, the first thing I'm thinking about is you. You got me, God. It's first. It's best. Cultivating you a desire for the Lord. And you do that by resisting your heart's natural affections. He says here in the text, haughty eyes and a proud heart the lamp of the wicked are sin. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. This last passage we'll go through before we wrap up. But it makes it clear. A proud heart has no room for God. And this is what else we need to learn that God wants from us. God is not looking for independent agents who most impress him by how little we need him. No, he is looking for people who know the weaknesses in themselves and depend wholly and fully on him. Most of us may not outwardly say that we don't need God, but you can certainly live as if you don't think you do. Or you can see just how long, 
How long can I go without God? I am probably the worst. Chrissy can definitely testify to this. I'm probably the worst at this when I'm in my car and I know it needs gas. Because I've never met a person above the age of like eight who says, I love pumping gas, right? I hate pumping gas. And so I will literally wait until my car is like self-destructing before I get some gas. I'm like, all right, I'll stop. Guess I need to put some gas in it. Now recently, this happened. I was on my way to the gym and I knew the previous day that I need to get gas. I just didn't feel like stopping. And the closest gas station to us was hit by a tree, so I was like, all right, Lord, I'm, you're speaking, I'm listening. Went right on home. When I got home, I think it said 10 miles left to eat. And I be having a whole lot of faith in that 10 miles. I also know that don't literally mean 10 miles. That really mean as quick as you're going to burn this gas. So I get in the car, I'm going to the gym. Mind you, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, so ain't nobody else out but me and the coyotes and the deer. And so I'm on the way. I don't even get a block from the house. That thing is now seven miles to eat. Got a little courage, though, because I realized going back ain't an option. Go a little further. Five miles to eat. I am now too far to go back home and be safe. So I'm out here praying and worrying. Lord, just get me to the gas station. I promise. I will never let it get this low again, Lord. I promise. I, you know, I'm making all these promises to the Lord, knowing full well. I'm lying. On my way, that thing gets to three miles left. And I'm legit nervous. Like, I'm thinking, I'm going to have to call Christy. She's going to get up. She's going to be mad. She's going to be talking. And I'm like, all right, Lord, please. Like, just, I'm humble. Like, I'm humble. I realize I made a mistake. So let me get to the gas station. Two miles left to go. I'm talking swerving into the gas station. I done rolled in there with my windows down because I couldn't turn on no air. I'm flicking the lights on and off because I heard they'd be draining the gas too. I'm trying everything so I can get as much drop of that gas as I can till I get to the gas station. And I'm talking about I pulled it and my heart was pounding because it's pitch black. I'm in Gardendale. I don't know what the whoop was going to happen. And I finally get to the gas station Two miles left to go till empty. I'm talking, I fill that thing up like I've never filled up gas in my life. But I realized something. Running that close to empty, running that close, coming that close to being completely drained, caused all the anxiety that I had. It caused all the stress that I had, all the worry that I had. I'm rerouting plans, trying to figure out what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do. When I had plenty of opportunities before that time to fill that car up. Y'all, the, the connection with our spiritual life is this. I think so many times the reason we struggle in our faith the reason we're so anxious, the reason we're so angry, the reason we're so impatient is because we know we're running on fumes. 
And we know, we know what we need. We know what we need from God. We know that all we have to do is just go to him and get what we need. Just like I know my car needs gas and I don't feel like putting in it what it needs. Because putting in it what it needs takes work. It takes some sacrifice. It has a cost. I think we do that with the Lord. We know, God, like, I, yes, I need to be reading. I need to be studying. I need to be fellowshipping. I need to be growing. I need to be communing. I need to be creating a relationship with the Lord and people around me because I'm running on fumes. And what happens? We start to get angry and anxious and impatient. We don't know what's wrong with us. Why am I so worried? And then we hear a sermon like this today and think, oh, God, that's exactly what I need. And we get filled up again. You know what happens? We'll go a week. And we'll ride on fumes. Lord, please just let me make it to Sunday. When you could have been filled up the whole time. You could have been filled up. So my encouragement. When God wants us to give him something. It ain't because he need it. It's that we do. He knows what we need. And you know what we need more than anything? We need him. And he has a standard on what he will receive from us. And he says here, as I close, those who are hasty assuming, hasty in life, trying to gain success, trying to have just gains and money. He says those people who are rushing through life, those are the people that actually come to poverty. And so maybe I can have riches and successes and still be impoverished. Y'all, in a world where people are always judging and assessing us by our works, by our looks, our worth is based on our outward appearance. God says, but I don't just see you as you are. I don't just see what you have to do or what you have to give. He says, but I can see your heart. And everybody else is judging you by how you look and what you do and all these other things, but I just want your heart. And he just wants us. Every piece that we have to give. He wants all of us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word. God, we thank you that you have created and designed us to need you with a capacity to love and be loved and, and, and to give. But God, it is the truth, it is reality that we don't always want to give what we know we need to give. That we don't always want to do what it is we know we need to do. God, I know many of us have attempted to give just what we have 
too afraid to give ourselves. But God, the Bible reminds us that you are a rewarder of those who seek you with diligence. And our reward for seeking you, God, is, is you. You're our great reward. God, I pray that no one in this room who try to mask who they are by their actions, but that they would faithfully and earnestly pursue you with their heart. God, if there's anybody in this room who doesn't know you, anybody watching, who doesn't know who you are, you are the lamb slain before eternity passed to provide for us our eternal hope and salvation. I pray this is the day that our eyes will be open. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.